From bald pitches in the Bulgarian third division to Premier League winners' medals, international caps and worldwide fame. It's the stuff of childhood dreams, but for these 11 nostalgic names, it became a reality. Plucked from obscurity, we collate some impressive meteoric rises to the top of the football pyramid. Arthur, welcome on board the pod. Thanks very much, Ben. Very exciting one to discuss today. A bizarre one as well for us, because we do love picking obscure footballers on Mm. this podcast. And what essentially we're trying to do here is pick players who were plucked from obscurity, which would surely suggest that they're not obscure. And so we're, we're at odds with each other here. We are. We're a walking contradiction, a talking contradiction. Arthur, before we get on with this podcast, um, I'm sort of at odds to to say that I've noticed some suspicious betting around Reading's season for next year. Oh, Um, yeah. Apparently, uh, someone who I'm quite close to has put a bet on that we're going to get relegated. Yeah. Yeah, that might be me. I, I'm utterly, utterly bewildered and I feel let down. Well, I, I mean, Ben, you and I have had discussion after discussion about Reading's woes this season. And I hear you're in financial peril, you could say, potentially this summer. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's probably true. But, uh, actually, you know. In many ways, it's a wise bet. And, uh, and we'll go out for a nice celebratory dinner when the worst happens in the summer. Goodness me, I expected more. Uh, It's a 4-4-2 for today's Pluck from Obscurity 11. Uh, On Twitter, it's at 11pod. That's the word, not the number. Please get in touch with your suggestions. As we love to say, between the sticks, Ben, who have you gone for? (laughs) So Plucked from Obscurity was Sasa Illich. No. No, no, that's not. No, I, the, the surname is quite recognisable, but I'm not sure I do know who that is. Well, it's funny you should say that because obviously the old football chant. There's only one Sasserilich. There are in fact two Sasseriliches. There's <laughs> the one that played in midfield for his nation, very commonly, probably the higher caliber player. But then there's also this one, a Serbian Australian goalkeeper born in Melbourne. Uh, who will forever hold a special place in Charlton fans' hearts. He came from obscure and humble beginnings, Sasserilic. Uh, he played his youth football in Australia with the Broadmeadow Magic and the Bonnie Rig White Eagles before moving to his parents' home country, Serbia, in 1991. He played for Graficar Belgrade in the Serbian fourth tier, Belgrade Zone League, uh, but Charlton uh, signed him after he'd most recently been on the books of Radnički Belgrade, a team who now play in the third tier of Serbian football. They were then right at the foot of what was the Yugoslavian First League. Um, they were in the middle of a civil war in Yugoslavia, so Ilic decided to pack his bags and head to the UK. He was 24 or 25 years old, so arguably beyond a natural time to pluck someone from obscurity. And in fact, he just started playing for a friend's semi-pro team, St. Leonard Stamcroft, based in East Sussex. When Illich decided to try and rekindle his professional career, knocking on the doors of various local clubs to try and uh, see if he could get a trial. And unbelievably, Charlton accepted that, offered him a trial, and out of absolutely nowhere from St. Leonard Stamcroft, Illich was offered a contract to play in the championship. Nobody had really heard of him when he signed in 1997. Charlton were battling for promotion from the first division up to the top flight, um, and he was a regular in goal uh, in the latter half of the 97-98 campaign, keeping a record nine clean sheets in a row, including both playoff semi-finals against Ipswich. He then also helped them to gain promotion in the playoff final. And this was Illich's iconic day, really, uh, for Charlton. It was a classic four-all, and uh, Illich saved the deciding penalty from Michael Gray in a 7-6 win over Sunderland. 
It's actually a true story, believe it or not, that before each penalty, Illich flipped a 10p piece in the goal mouth to decide which way to dive. So there was wow. none of this kind of stats and writing names on bottles or anything back then. All down to chance. Fair enough. It is a bit of a guessing game, I think, penalties. Obviously, there are times where you've seen in recent years, Jan Sommer has become a bit of a master of the art of the kind of dummy dive. And, and he's, he's put Jorginho back in his place, I'd say. But it is a bit of a lottery because you've got such a short time to react. I feel like leaving it up to the gods. I mean, you've got to rely on the striker not seeing whether it's heads or tails, I guess. <laughs> hundred percent. Although you'd have to have seriously good eyesight, Arthur, to see that from the penalty spot. <laughs> what do you have? 2020 yeah. vision. Yeah, uh, corrected, Ben, corrected. Yeah, okay. um, I also, it's quite interesting to see that he was capped for FR Yugoslavia, which I'm imagining must be the former Republic of Yugoslavia. Mm. Um, but interestingly, I had no idea that Serbia and Montenegro as an international footballing nation only came about in 2003. Yeah, I think that's, that's right. So much more recent than I thought it was. That's right, and and I guess that's why several players like Dejan Stankovic, who was featured on a pod earlier this this kind of series, had actually played for all three: Yugoslavia, Serbia, Montenegro, and Serbia throughout his career, which seems bonkers right now. Ilic did play Premier League football. He played for Charlton and then subsequently for West Ham in the Premier League. And when he reflects on this fairy tale of how he went from obscurity up to the very top flight, he says, when I got the opportunity, there was no way in the world I was going to let it go. If you're 24, 25, playing at lower league level, it's highly unlikely. It's like a 0.001% chance that anybody from that age group will play. So he's very humbled by the fact that he did get to play top flight football. He became a hero at Charlton. Um, and when he retired, um, I suppose he tried to cling on to that fame to some extent. In 2010, he starred in a low budget movie called A Day of Violence, playing the part of a mobster named Knuckles. It's an 18, this film. And from everything I've read, it just seems almost frivolously gory. A Daily Mirror review contains the following line. Whilst the threadbare plot provides little surprise, it is the energetic scenes of DIY mutilation that mark a day of violence as something worth attending. Garden shears and screwdrivers are used to perform cosmetic surgery, both genital and dental. What the hell? It sounds horrible, doesn't it? (laughs) Definitely won't be watching that. Um, But yeah, Sasser Illich's career came from obscurity, took a massive turn and and now has ended up with their garden shears to the bollocks. Goriness. That's horrible. There we go. Anyway, at left back, (laughs) (laughs) it's Fabio Grosso. Oh, Fabio Grosso. I used to think he was brilliant. Yeah, so did I. And that's why his pick almost surprises me. He's a player that I thought had played in the top tier of Italian football for pretty much all of his career. Um, But little did I know he was playing for lower league sides in Italy until he was 26 when he was given a chance by newly promoted Serie A side Perugia. Um, And even before that, he'd had a rise of epic proportions. He began his career in the Excellenza League, which is Italy's fifth tier, the equivalent of the conference. Wow. And he made 125 appearances for a club called Renato Curie, which interestingly, they're named after a, a footballer of Perugia who suddenly died in 1977 oh. uh, during a league match against Juventus. So named after a dead footballer. Um, but he was he was incredibly impressive for them. 125 appearances, 55 goals for them. Uh, and he played as an attacking midfielder and a left winger. And from that level, he made another leap up to Serie C, this time with Chieti, again impressing in attacking midfield, scoring 17 in 68 and attracting those attentions of Perugia. Uh, and basically, though that sort of gave him the grounding for coming to the world's attentions. He first was selected by and then scored the winning goal for Italy in the 2006 World Cup final. I think this was the moment that really, really put him on the map. It made me think this is an absolute 
you know, this is a quality player. It was a, such a sweet strike, albeit a penalty. Mm. And and it was the second big moment in that tournament because in the semi-final, he scored the first of two quick goals in the 119th minute uh, of their semi-final 2-0 defeat of Germany. I just want to quickly play the com- commentary clip because I just find this absolutely hilarious. absolutely love that the commentators who are just so <laughs> over eager and just loving yeah, life <laughs> i know and uh, move over martin tyler we want more of that here in the premier league exactly uh, and i think that rise for fabio grosso certainly did come from obscurity and it's a little bit in my mind and i would say this being a southampton fan it's a bit ricky lambert like in the mm. sense that it's not jamie vardy went from non-league I mean, was I think he might have played in League One, maybe, but he, he came very, very quickly up to the Premier League. Whereas Ricky Lambert, Grant Holt, those kinds of players, it was kind of a gradual rise to the top. And he did go from essentially Serie D, Serie C, didn't play, skipped out Serie B because he was so confident to get to Serie A. And then he, and then he, and then he got in there and he lit up the stage. Uh, subsequently did enjoy spells with Lyon, Inter and Juve. And that's kind of more a period that I associate with him. Perhaps that's when he really had come to the fore already. So um, I kind of thought he was always at that level. But Fabio Grosso, surprisingly, fairly late, was plucked from the obscurity of the lower leagues of Italian football. Yeah, I really didn't know that. Um, I had assumed he was always a top, top player. Uh, I'm interested to read that when he was at Perugia, he did star in the Intertoto Cup, our favourite yeah. tournament that we're looking to, to bring back. And in 2013, he was actually courted by Birmingham City. So we that sounded like you just him over here. It sounded like you just said 2030. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. I mean, he is actually in management. So you never know um, if Birmingham are after someone and they're doing quite well. Maybe Fabio will come over to England. There we go. Alongside him at centre-half, we have a Champions League winner with one of the most bizarre CVs in football. It's Julio Cesar. Oh, Julio Cesar. What a guy. Yeah. Um, It's not the QPR goalkeeper, an Inter Milan goalkeeper. This is a centre-back. And his CV includes Real Madrid, Benfica, Milan, Sporting Kansas City, Gaziantespor and Bolton Wanderers. In fact, 16 clubs in all, over 12 different countries but he never played in his native Brazil. So quite interesting there. I think when we look at players that are plucked from obscurity, it's it's common that they will have been plucked from their home nation. Um, they would have come through the ranks in their home nation and then maybe been taken on by a club in, in Europe. Uh, but that's really not the case with Julio. Um, he played his youth football in Mexico uh, and he played his first ever professional season in the Honduran Premier League with CD Marathon, which staggered me. Um, It's a team nicknamed the Green Bellies. And I don't know how the scouting team at Real Valladolid found out about this um, Brazilian centre-half playing in Honduras, but somehow that seems to be in their scouting network and they saw enough to bring this athletic ball-playing centre-back to the club and give him a shot in one of Europe's top leagues. From the Honduran league to La Liga, he transitioned almost seamlessly. He played 25 La Liga matches in his first season and helped Valladolid to qualify for the UEFA Cup. Um, But then he made a move to Real Madrid and I think this was probably the wrong one. He was overhyped and couldn't oust the trusted Ivan Helguera and Fernando Hierro, and consequently he was sent out on loan. I mentioned that he played for Bolton Wanderers. Um, It was at the age of 25, and he made five fairly uninspiring appearances for them uh, at a time when he was club hopping season by season. Wanderers fans wouldn't see the best of him. Um, Really, that was Valladolid when they plucked him from obscurity. Um, And a strange footnote about Cesar's time at Bolton. 
Um, during the 2006 investigation into corruption in English football, Lord Stevens compiled a report which put forward 17 transfer deals subject to further scrutiny. And one of these was Julio Cesar's. Um, it appears that Sam Allardyce and his son Craig had taken bungs off agents for signing certain players. Stevens stated the inquiry remains concerned at the conflict of interest that it believes existed between Craig Allardyce, his father, Sam Allardyce, and the club itself. So it weirdly, it seems the Allardyce family were also part of this kind of weird link with Julio Cesar and maybe part of the reason the Brazilian joined there. But um, certainly before that Champions League win, Julio Cesar was plucked from obscurity. That's bizarre that... Um... Sam Allardyce again finds himself in a bit of a corruption case. It's just yeah. honestly so out of character. It's to bizarre. be honest, I, I don't think an, an episode of the Eleven can go by without some mention of Sam Allardyce's Bolton. I, I also really love the name CD Marathon. It's like moving on from a film marathon. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> evening, just spend spend the night on the decks. Just, uh, just going through the collection. <laughs> Uh, I did try the sort of Honduran pronunciation of it as CD Marathon, but there we go. Uh, I, I feel like Julio's form went off the rails once he left Honduran football. So um, let's see if the centre-back alongside him is a bit more consistent. Oh, consistency and trumps you've got here. It's Jay Demerit. Oh, the Watford centre-half. The Watford centre-half, um, who, who did rise from absolutely nothing. He did play with Chicago Fire's development team, but he was neither drafted nor signed by any MLS clubs following graduation from college. Um, After spending some time working as a bartender, uh, Demerit took the advice of a former European teammate and decided to take advantage of his European Union work status. Uh, He had a Danish grandfather. Uh, And so he moved to England in 2003 with $1,800 in his pocket in an attempt to find a club to play for. Uh, He started off incredibly low. He played in the ninth tier of English football with Southall, uh, who were a semi-professional club, uh, then operating in the obscure Combined Counties League. Uh, And he earned only £40 a week. And he lived with a mate of his called Kieran Keane. uh, And they were both living together in in Keane's mother's attic. (laughs) <laughs> okay he said of his time with the club people showed up hung over just to get a run in um so i feel like it wasn't the most professional level of uh of football each saturday morning uh the southall manager picked up demerit and keen in a blue minivan with no rear windows demerit says of that time we used to play paper rock scissors the loser had to sit in the back on top of the boxes of socks and underwear and the winner got to sit in the front while the manager rolled his own cigarettes. So it was a, a real back-to-basics experience of football. It all changed, however, upon his signing for Northwood, who were seventh-tier side, uh, and this was in July 2004. He was essentially playing in a few of their pre-season matches, and he got incredibly lucky in that one of these matches was against Watford, who were then in the Championship, And Demerit impressed Ray Lewington, who was Watford manager, and he earned a two-week trial, during which he did enough to earn a one-year contract, even though he had not yet played a competitive game for Northwood. Uh, And so he signed for Watford and essentially became a club legend. He made 183 appearances for Watford. Um, Most importantly, he played a big part in the Championship playoff final as well. In 2006 against Leeds United, he scored a goal and put in a man-of-the-match performance uh, that earned the Hornets a 3-0 victory and promotion to the Premier League. So um, a real legend and came from literally nowhere. It's incredible. I really don't know what to say. So he went directly from Northwood to Watford yeah, and then to the Premier League. And then to the Premier League. 183 appearances. I mean, one of those seasons was in the Premier League. The season after promotion, he played 32 games. Um, which ultimately did result in relegation. But he did go on to prove himself as just a solid championship defender over the course of his time at Watford. He wrapped up his career in the MLS at Vancouver Whitecaps, uh, and he got 25 caps for the US. In in all, it was a pretty solid um, career 
for him. And it certainly proves that the bet he took going to Europe with $1,800 to try and carve out a career for himself was was definitely merited. <laughs> I mean, championship wages, he's going to be earning um, earning a fair amount. So uh, good on him. Good old Jay Demerit. <laughs> it is a fascinating story. And I'm perhaps unsurprised to find out just now that it's been turned into a film. <laughs> I didn't know that then. That's so yeah. good. There's a documentary film um, independently run called Rise and Shine, the Jay Demerit story. Um, and incredibly, it is the most successful independent film ever funded via crowdfunding. It raised wow. $223,000 to get it up and running. So uh, maybe that's one we got to check out. Mate, we, our, our, our list of films that we've got to see is growing by the day. It's incredible. Wicked. Love that. Welcome to the 11J. Uh, and our final plucked from Obscurity Defender is Hatem Trebelsi. Oh, a, a very, very soft. Was he Tunisian? Yes, he was actually one of the Tunisian all-time greats. Uh, he took part in four African Cup of Nations, namely in 2000, 2002, 2004 and 2006. Uh, and he actually won the 2004 African Cup of Nations. Um, and he was also part of the Tunisian national team in 98, 2002 and the 2006 World Cups. He must have played alongside Radi Jaidi for a lot of that, that period. He certainly did. He certainly Still did. Um, he was a fullback applauded for his pace and agility, but sometimes maligned for his lack of commitment to challenges and tactical indiscipline. I think probably his most successful time was at Ajax. He signed for them in 2001, uh, but this was also where he was plucked from obscurity. Another bit of bizarre scouting from the Dutch club led them to pick him up from SC Sufaxian, who were generally the third or fourth best team at the time in the Tunisian Premier League. Trebelsi was playing for them as a centre forward, but had switched to right back during an injury crisis and remained there from there on in. And some people say maybe that's why he had that sort of indiscipline, because he'd spent so much of his childhood playing up front. CS Safaxian are a team from Safax, which is southeast of the capital Tunis, uh, and they play in black and white stripes, known, therefore, as Juventus of the Arabs as a result. Uh, and they're one of these kind of multiple sports franchises, really. They also have a judo team and a weightlifting team. So in the area, they're kind of well known, even though they are obscure to us over here in Europe. I've no idea what prompted Ajax to pick up on Trebelsi's talents, but the match seemed to work. Uh, he helped them win two league titles, two KNVB Cups and two Johan Cruyff Shields. Um, but a contract dispute upset him and he tried to force through a move to Arsenal. Um, a fee between Ajax and the English champions was agreed with the transfer looking imminent. So much so that Pro Evolution Soccer 4 included Trebelsi in their Arsenal roster. However, at the very last minute, disagreements over Trebelsi's salary demands were reported and he didn't sign. He'd actually have to wait for his move to England. He'd eventually end up at Manchester City before their lucrative takeover. He had a 15,000 appearance fee per game, but actually got paid nothing if he didn't play in the team. And what that effectively meant was that he was on a pay-as-you-play deal. But City were contacted by the old Department for Employment in order to rip up that contract because the terms of the agreement meant that technically Trebelsi was not even earning the minimum wage, which was £5.35 an hour. So after this, he never played for the club again. So it was a fraught time in Manchester for Trebelsi. To be perfectly honest... The best part of his career was that Ajax spell in the early noughties, straight after his time in the Tunisian Premier League. I've also um, incredibly read that he was nominated for a Ballon d'Or in 2003. He didn't, <laughs> he didn't get any votes, but, um, but he was up for it. Great to be in the hat, hey? Yeah. Um, I mean, the same I, amount of votes as, as, as Pirlo, Beckham and Ronaldo. So uh, there we go, big deal. Young delivers and Jay Demerit puts Watford in front. 
So just as throughout football history, some top players have been picked or plucked rather from obscurity, we assume that there are plenty of hidden gems out there right now. So as a bit of fun, Arthur and I have picked out a couple of players that we think are worthy of being plucked from that obscurity this summer. You up for that, Arthur? Yeah, I love a bit of scouting. I'm a big football manager fan, or I was certainly back yeah. in the day. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm into my stats. Uh, we looked at Moneyball 11 at one stage. So we, we, we can identify these key skills that players have to have. Uh, and hopefully, <laughs> at least one of these will, uh, will one day become a decent footballer. <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I feel like I've spent an inordinate amount of time in the last two weeks watching YouTube compilation videos from the Lithuanian Premier League trying to spot talent. Um, but I've eventually landed on someone I'm happy with, and that is Sunday Adetunji. Oh, Sunday Adetunji is such a, it, I mean, that's a brilliant name. He's going to be a superstar. Yeah, of course, you've you've all heard of him back home. He's a gangly six foot three Amazonian forward, capable of playing down the middle or out wide. He's now 24, so of a decent age, um, but he's had a Be A Wanderers, Any Yimba, Lobi Stars, Plateau United and Rivers United in Nigeria. Um, and his only previous venture in Europe was with Croatian club, one FK Pribram, first playing for their reserves, appearing six times and scoring twice before going on to play for their first team with just one appearance. Um, and in all that time, after all of those appearances at various different clubs, we only know of four professional goals that he'd scored. So you're probably wondering why the hell I've picked him. Well, that all changed this year. In a single season with North Macedonian Premier League champions KF Shkupi, Adetunji was the league's top scorer with 20 goals in 27 games. He also chipped in with six assists. And um, like I said, I've seen some clips on a very budget looking YouTube compilation video. Um, and this lad looks a real player. He's confident. He's aware of what's around him. A good dribbler. I'd describe him as being in the kind of Sammy Amiobi type mould. Um, very kind of skillful for a big man. A bit unpredictable, but actually got a bit of quality out to a club. Um, I'd probably say sort of, championship level i reckon he's probably available for about half a million um maybe someone like a cardiff or maybe he could be like a swansea city legend of the future yeah potentially he could be a uh, a ready-made replacement for joel pirot because i know yeah he's got a lot of this summer yeah um, I, I think sunday might be you know i just think he's worth a punt um i'm also not? really disappointed to see that the second team of one fk pribram is called one fk pribram b rather than yeah. two fk pribram yeah that would make so much more sense perfect oh. an odd team name but there we go who, who did you pick out in your research so i had seen that you were going for a striker um a goal scorer if you like and uh, one that i had eyed up was a guy called frank umbella thierry atuga <laughs> it is a uh, a 20 year old cameroonian striker playing for asante katoko sc uh, now he scored 19 and 25 this season uh, and he's only a 20 year old so i think he's a very exciting talent for the future but in a bid to shake things up a little bit i decided that i would choose a goalkeeper uh, and so I've gone for the mighty Dominic Takach, who plays for Spartak Tanava. Okay. <laughs> Ring any bells? Uh, no. Okay. Well, he's a six foot four, 23 year old goalkeeper. Spartak Tanava finished third in the Slovak Super League this season. Uh, they also have Martin Skirtle playing for them currently. He's 37 oh, wow. years old, still, uh, still putting in a shift. So um, he's got some good defenders alongside him. Uh, but Takach, in my mind, really stood out. He got 15 clean sheets in last season's 22 games, uh, 23 clean sheets in 39 games in all competitions. Uh, the team conceded only 17 goals all season, which was by far and away the least. Uh, they just couldn't score consistently. They only scored 36 and 32. Uh, and for contrast, Bratislava scored almost double with 71. Um, so defence was not their issue. And Dominic Takac has been a goalkeeper who has had quite a few admirers for some time. He he came into the first team when he was only about 20 
uh, and he's he's progressed ever since. I've watched a few videos of him. I think he would um, he would start counterattacks very quickly, which is useful in today's modern era. Uh, and in terms of a club that I think he'd suit, I mean, frankly, I think he could do a job at Reading. Um, it, it, I mean, if you can afford him, I don't really know. He wouldn't probably cost a lot because Reading conceded the joint most goals in the championship this season with 87. We do need a goalie. You do a little bit. He could potentially suit Exeter City. Uh, they had Cameron Dawson this season alone from Sheffield Wednesday. He was one of their star players and they need a goalkeeper for their League One campaign after their promotion. I think I could see Dominic Takac lighting up the Premier League in years to come. But I think to start things off, he'd probably suit a second or third tier signing in, in, in English football. Nice. That could be the new Martin Dubravka that you've identified there, Arthur. Um, I'm sure. So um, if you have spotted someone this season that you think deserves to be plucked from obscurity, then at 11pod, the word, not the number, uh, do let us know on Twitter. We'd love to hear about them. So onto the midfield and a left winger. It is, and it's Scott Chipperfield. Oh, wow. Love it. Scotty Chipperfield. He made 486 appearances for them, scoring 106 goals, seven Super League, six Swiss Cups. And even his son, Liam Chipperfield, made his debut for the Rockblau this year. Um, So the Chipperfield dynasty is well and truly in place at FC Basel. But he wouldn't have started that dynasty had he not been plucked from pre-A-League obscurity in Australia. He was playing for Wollongong United, uh, then Wollongong Wolves in his homeland. Uh, At the same time, though, Scott worked as a diesel mechanic. Uh, And when he finished that during the day, he'd take on bus driving duties and pick school kids up. Uh, Then when he finished doing that, he'd have to go home, he'd have a shower and then he'd go to his games. So um, no it was it was a, it was a sort of period of multitasking for Scott. He did that for a few years before he decided to go professional in Australia. Uh, in the last few years uh, with the Wolves, he was able to focus just on the game, and he won back-to-back National Soccer League Player of the Year awards, uh, including scoring twenty-seven in thirty-one games in his final season there. I think there's absolutely no doubting that Scott Chipperfield was hugely successful for both Basel and Australia. Um, Indeed, he actually, in the World Cup of 2006, also earned many admirers. Um, He was very impressive for Australia, and that saw Charlton launch a ultimately unsuccessful bid to sign him. But I just love the fact that he arrived at such a a random club as FC Basel, because Basel at the title in 22 years, and such was his success when he arrived that he led them to those seven Super League titles in his period with the club. It's incredible, really. I mean, Scott Chipperfield, I I picture him and I've just seen a photo, actually, and it is exactly what I'd imagined. He he kind of looks like slightly older than you'd expect for a, a professional footballer. He's got that kind of slightly kind of receding hairline and just that kind of aged look of, you know, you've seen a lot. And I'm fascinated to see that as a left midfielder, his pace rankings on FIFA 12... Oh, <laughs> sprint speed 44, acceleration 32. They're both oh, out of 100. So um, a very oh. unique kind of midfielder. Absolutely. And, uh, and internationally, uh, I said he, he impressed for Australia. 68 caps for them. He scored 12. Uh, and, and I enjoyed the fact that he scored two goals in the 22-0 victory over Tonga. <laughs> wow <laughs> do you know do you know that really does pale in comparison with the international world record do you know what that is oh no i don't i don't know but i'm gonna say it's towards 50 mm, no you've 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 just you've overclubbed there then oh, no. uh, i mean it doesn't sorry. massively pale in comparison it was 31 nil oh. uh, and that was australia against american samoa Oh, and uh, and that game sticks in my mind because I saw one of the main proponents that day, uh, which who was Archie Thompson. Okay. Uh, he used to play for Melbourne Victory. That famous Melbourne Victory game that I went to. Yeah. Um, he scored 13 goals in that game. Oh, and I just think that's extraordinary. Seeing the, the list of scorers on the <laughs> on the screen was absolutely bonkers. But um, 
yeah, Australia, I think they have some fairly easy games in that part of the world. But uh, yeah, Scott Chipperfield, an absolute legend on the left-hand side. Brilliant. Centre mid, Stephen Apaya. Yeah. Ghanaian? 100% Ghanaian. It's a very Ghanaian surname, actually. Yeah. Yeah. He, uh, He played for a team in Ghana called Hearts of Oak. Now, is there a better team name out there? I don't think there are many. I've I've heard of Hearts of Oak as well. They sort of sound, I mean, just just great. Yeah. We should go, maybe that can be an 11 field trip. We can head over there. Oh, yeah. We'll just board the next flight to Ghana. Yeah. Easy as pie. Got to be done. And what a kit they have. Um, it bizarrely combines red, blue and yellow in this kind of slightly eccentric, stripy number. Um, well worth a look online. They are a popular team in Ghana from Accra. Um, and in fact, they're 110 years old, making them the longest existing club in the country. They had their heyday in the 60s um, and they were so feared by opposition that they would um, become nicknamed the Phobias. So that's their club nickname to this day because people were so scared of them. Wow. But in the grand scheme of things, this is still a minnow league of the country, currently ranked 52nd in the world. Hearts of Oak play teams with names such as Eleven Wonders, Great Olympics and Dreams. In fact, in 1966, they were beaten to the title by the mysterious dwarfs. (laughs) So... (laughs) So... (laughs) So... <laughs> so it's surprising that they had actually produced such a talent as Stephen Apaya. He was a gifted player with a wonderful engine, tenacious, athletic, and aggressive, but with fine technique and vision. He too started life as a forward before being switched to midfield by a canny coach in his trial at Udinese, uh, and he signed for them to play in that position in 1997. He'd also have spells with Parma and Brescia uh, before his big move to Juventus in 2003. And there he'd play Champions League football as well as winning the Supercoppa Italiana. Um, But I actually remember him most clearly, perhaps because of my age, as a Fenerbahce player during his mid-20s. And that was his peak, really. During that time, he won Footballer of the Year in Turkey, um, as well as Ghanaian Footballer of the Year twice. And he captained his nation to their first World Cup in 2006. I think in many ways, Apaya was a legend who transcended Ghanaian football. Um, But credit to Udinese for plucking him from obscurity in the first place. Uh, And this was part of a bizarre string of signings by the club. In the same year that Apaya joined, they also signed Adil Ramsey from Korkab Marrakesh who would go on to play zero games for the club. But it seemed that they had this kind of unique African flavour to their scouting that particular season. Uh, And back in the kind of late 90s, I suppose that was pretty unusual. So um, there was every chance the Pyre would not have become as famous had Udinese not have employed such a bizarre transfer policy. Yeah, I think I do actually. This is one of the few occasions where I do actually, in hindsight, very much associate Apaya with uh, with Udinese, a, a quality centre midfield that's really coming back to me now. You've uh, now you've refreshed my memory about what a great midfielder he was. A hundred percent. Now, alongside him, are we going to get one of the players from that classic nineteen sixty six mysterious dwarves league winning side? <laughs> you really tickle me with that. That's so good. The mysterious dwarves get to. The- I really hope they had like quite a few six foot plus people as well. <laughs> no, it's Robert Corran. <laughs> yes, brilliant. Good old Robert. Um, he played in Slovenia until he was 25, making 208 appearances in his homeland for Dravograd and Selja. They were very much not the biggest clubs in the country, not a patch on the Maribors of this world. So, uh, yeah, it was it was a surprise that Lillestrom in Norway took a chance on him uh, and he soon found himself renowned as one of the best players in the Norwegian Premier Division. He got 42 goal involvements in just 82 games for them. Um, 
in terms of the plucking from obscurity, I, I feel like that probably was from Slovenia because Lillestrom are a fairly big side in their own own right. They're one of the biggest clubs in Norway. Um, but he did then become a Premier League player. He played for both West Brom and Hull City. I would I would categorize him probably as pretty much the archetypal yo-yo player in English football. He seemed to shine in the championship and slightly struggle in the Premier League on each occasion he got to tackle it. Um, he had quite a few promotions with both clubs and relegations. Uh, he made exactly 300 appearances for West Brom and, and the Tigers during seven years in English football. And he had one incredibly um, awful incident in 2008 where he lost sight in one eye after a pre-season training accident. Uh, he fired a powerful shot that was blocked by a teammate and then ricocheted back into his face. Um, his left eye immediately began swelling as blood pooled within it. Uh, a few hours later, however, his sight returned. He said, somewhat philosophically, I was afraid there might be some problems with my vision. <laughs> wow. I mean, that's a way of putting it. It's calling it how he sees it. Yeah. Or maybe 100%. not. <laughs> and he said of his career, in my playing career, I made sure I progressed slowly and didn't go to the top level right away and not do the job right. And I think that's a fair analysis of his career. It seems to be a steady rise. He played quite some number of games in Slovenia. Then he sort of went up a tier into Norwegian football. And then he, and he really hit the top, actually, in in, uh, in English football, a quality midfielder, renowned for a bit of a ferocious shot, some good goals from outside the area. Um, did you have particular memories of, of facing him in the championship quite a lot? I sure Not did. you personally, but Reading. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I've never played against him, but um, I, I always thought he was fantastic, actually, um, particularly for West Brom. I think he added a little bit of flair to that side. Um, and yeah, big fan of Robert Corrin. I, I'm just I can't get past the logo Arthur of Robert Corrin's first side in Slovenia um Dravagrad NK Dravagrad it is possibly the most Microsoft Paint logo I think I've ever seen in my entire life <laughs> it was just the weirdest combination of kind of lime green yellow and a kind of snake-like pattern of of footballs that look like they've been taken straight off clip art I mean, Ben, not to criticise your wonderful artwork production, but it does seem quite Ben Warden in its, it, in yeah, its construction. It's a bit leavenly, actually. Now, as soon as I said that, I thought, oh, no. So their home strip could very much be our home strip. It could, if we were a team. Oh, God, we're gonna, yeah. We're going to make one. Man, Dravagrad, they're so 11. And so, so is Robert Corrin, actually. Great pick. Good old Robert. And on the right? On the right side is Carlos Edwards. Oh, a Sunderland legend, Carlos. Yes, uh, a Sunderland legend who started his career in his native Trinidad. Um, He was a tricky wide player, an adept dribbler, consistent performer and pace merchant. Uh, And like you say, he was best known for his Premier League exploits in the noughties with Sunderland, um, but also for a five-year spell in the championship with Ipswich Town. He was actually plucked from obscurity by Wrexham back in the year 2000 from humble beginnings. He'd been born in Diego Martin um, and Edwards went to the same school as compatriot Kenwyn Jones. He started his professional career with a team named Defence Force. Now, they are actually the most decorated club in Trinidad However, they're so named because their team is often made up of members of the island's protective forces. So officers, soldiers, sailors and the Coast Guard commonly make up their match day squad. And Carlos Edwards essentially was representing them back in his native Trinidad. Out of interest, there is another team in the second division called Prison Service FC, which is composed of guards. So it, it's not uncommon in Trinidad and Tobago that actually your occupation defines which football team you represent in the league system. He helped in 1999 Defence Force to win the league title, 
um, before Wrexham came knocking for Carlos Edwards. Uh, They actually made a triple swoop from Trinidad, somewhat strangely, capturing Dennis Lawrence and Hector Sam in the process. Dennis Lawrence, is he the the really tall one? That's right, six foot six. And he was also playing for Defence Force. Um, He had actually joined up as an officer prior to playing for that team. Edwards helped Wrexham win promotion uh, to the second division in 2002-2003, scoring 10 goals and winning Wrexham's Player of the Year award. Um, And he'd stay there for a while. He'd play 166 games for the Football League club uh, before moving on and his career would springboard from there. Uh, He was popular in his homeland. In fact, he played every minute uh, in their unlikely World Cup appearance. Um, And incredibly, Carlos Edwards is still a registered player at 43 years old. He plays for Berry Town in the Ithmayan League North Division. So um, he's now grey-haired, but still running down that wing as ever. I can hardly imagine Carlos with grey hair. Yeah. That's fantastic. And also, I mean, he was a player who relied on his pace and his flair and stuff. I wonder what kind of player he is now. Yeah. Maybe a set piece specialist. He's I become... wonder. Yeah, he might have done that kind of Ryan Giggs move into the centre um, by this point. I think at the age of forty-three, that's fair enough, isn't it? But I reckon he's still quicker than Scott Chipperfield. <laughs> oh my gosh, our left and right wings are going to be so so potent, aren't they? <laughs> coming forward for Ipswich Town in space through the heart of the derby half of the field Edwards has a shot oh yes Yes. what a goal it's Carlos Edwards drills it into the net and right at the death of this game the captain has got the winner hope you're enjoying the podcast so far just two more positions left to name and if you do listen commonly thank you uh, you will know that a position is up for grabs and we get nominations in Really excited about who we've got on the podcast this time. Uh, But Arthur, you've got the other striker position, haven't you? I've gone for Dong. You've gone for Dong? Dong who? Dong Fangzhou. Oh, of course. Dong. Dong Fangzhou, that's who. (laughs) What a man. I'm just so sad we never got to see more of Dong in a Man United shirt. I mean, it was 2004 that the English footballing community first encountered Mr. Dong Fangzhou. He was a pacey striker, plying his trade with Dalian Shide or Shide. It's got to be Shite. Come on, it's got to be Dalian Shite, the way that's spelled. Well, he was playing with them uh, and and, and Man United gave us a chance to uh, meet Dong. I'm still thinking of him playing with Shite. I'm, I'm really struggling. In the early weeks of January, the Red Devils agreed a 500 grand transfer fee for Dong, which... (laughs) (laughs) I hope Dong isn't listening. The Red Devils agreed a 500 grand transfer fee for him, which could have risen to £3.5 million based on appearances. Uh, Although a relatively small sum, even at that time, there were eyebrows raised from this signing... Was this a cynical marketing ploy by Man United designed to tap into the Chinese market? Or had United seen something special in him? And I feel like it's it's kind of a combination of the two. Certainly seemed to be the former. Uh, in 2005, they had a summer tour of Asia and Man United fielded him in three of their games, despite the fact that he would be ineligible for the upcoming Premier League season because he didn't have a work permit. Uh, But then again, this was a huge talent. He was linked with Inter Milan and Real Madrid. Uh, In 2004, he took China to the final of the AFC Youth Championship. And that year, he was shortlisted for the FIFA Pro Young Player of the Year Award. Uh, And the calibre of his fellow nominees included Cristiano Ronaldo, Wayne Rooney, Arjen Robben and Bastian Schweinsteiger. Uh, So that really does reveal the high esteem in which Dong was held. To get his work permit, he was sent to United Feeder Club, Royal Antwerp, uh, and he scored 34 goals in 67 appearances for them. It's often overlooked that he was in the Belgian second division for all but a handful of games, but even so, it wasn't a bad return for 
a teenager experiencing his first taste of European football. And anticipation was growing back home, fueled by comments from Manchester. Uh, Alex Ferguson said, Don qualifies for his European passport in December. And that is good news for us. He's played four times for China already, so clearly has a lot of potential. He has the speed and physicality and his technique is improving all the time. Um, But sadly, once the work permit was granted, his time with Man United was brief. He lost 2-0 to Coventry in one of only two competitive games for them. And and I I think he just couldn't live up to that that potential, potentially a a valid inclusion in the uh, unfulfilled potential 11 as well. Despite the fact that Dong remained obscure due to his lack of success, this is absolutely a pick qualifying for an obscurity plucking. Uh, whilst Dali and Shide are one of the most successful teams in China, this was pre-Super League years in China, before the money arrived. Um, I certainly got caught up in the excitement of the signing. I was 12 at the time. Uh, I was editing a football magazine uh, with my mates called Score. Uh, that was, <laughs> uh, we, we, uh, we loved doing that. And we actually ran an article on how he was going to be the next big thing in the Premier League. Wow. Uh, it was a very exciting transfer. Uh, alongside that article was a, um, a lovely piece that we did on David Beckham had just bought a new motorhome. And we were basically, we drew, we drew a sort of a, 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 a picture of what the motorhome looked like, some of the best bits. It was a pretty high-tech bit of equipment. We were very caught up in the moment. But sadly, outside of those 34 Royal Antwerp goals, he only scored 17 further career goals. Uh, So absolutely failed to live up to those expectations that were hung on Dong. That is such a... (laughs) That is such a shame. I knew we'd have players plucked from obscurity in this podcast, but plucked from shide just seems a whole new level um I really enjoy the picture by the way of Chelsea's guard of honour for Manchester United in 2007 um in a match when Sir Alex Ferguson decided to play his his youngsters and reserves because they'd already wrapped up the league so you've got the likes of kind of Salomon Kalou and Frank Lampard giving a warm guard of honour to Dong Fangju as he walks onto the pitch for his Manchester United debut unbelievable Welcome, Dong. Uh, And now up for grabs. So our striker position, and as we mentioned, nominations coming in from football personalities on social media, journalists, etc. Delighted to have a contribution from Michael Hamlin. Now, Michael runs 80s and 90s football, uh, which is a successful social media page. Lots of nostalgia on there. He's also an occasional writer. He's featured on a number of podcasts. Let's see who he selects to play up front. If we're talking about players that are plucked from obscurity and came into football from an unorthodox route, there's only one player that springs to mind. Famously had trials with South and O'Brien, but was told he wouldn't make the grade, and even spent two weeks in prison for failing to pay fines for driving without tax and insurance. Played amateur club football for a number of years before being signed by non-league club Greenwich Borough. But only after a handful of games for this club, he was spotted by a Crystal Palace scout after a tip-off. He spent six years in South London, transforming himself from a rough diamond to a polished one. And he scored 117 goals in 277 appearances. He was signed by Arsenal in 1991 for £2.5 million. He won the FA Cup and League Cup in 1993 and the double in 1998. He was unfortunately suspended for the Cup Winners' Cup final victory against Palmer in 94. In just seven years, he scored 185 goals in 288 appearances and he broke Cliff Bastien's club record of 178 goals when he saw him famous reveal the famous Just Done It t-shirt. He left Arsenal in 1998 and he went on to play for West Ham, Nottingham Forest on loan, Celtic and Burnley. Internationally, he won 33 caps for England and scored nine goals. This was a time, unfortunately for him, there was an abundance of English England strikers and he didn't get as many caps as he should have done. But also, most famously, he didn't go to a major tournament. Either he wasn't selected or he was injured. This was a player that was very quick, had great movement and always had a habit of whenever one of his goals went in, the ball always seemed to touch the side netting. It was always that far in the corner to give the keeper hardly any chance of ever getting it. If you haven't guessed who I'm describing, who I've chosen, it is, of course, Ian Wright, Wright, Wright. 
Ian Wright. Yes. I'm reading his autobiography actually at the moment, Ian Wright. I'm a big fan of his. Um, but yeah, easy to forget that he was playing lower league football before the big boom. Absolutely. Uh, thank you so much for that nomination. And we have received another one as well from Andy Mitten, who uh, is the founder of United We Stand fanzine. Uh, he founded that when he was just 15 years old. He's now editor at large of 442, uh, a contributor for The Athletic, amongst other things. I very much enjoyed reading his celebration of classic football derby matches, mad for it, from Blackpool to Barcelona when we were researching the Derby's eleven. Uh, and he sent in a nomination. Lee Sharp was a young footballer from the West Midlands. He'd been rejected by Birmingham City, by West Bromwich Albion, and even his beloved Aston Villa showed no interest in him. So he went down to Torquay in England's fourth tier. Sharp enjoyed his time on the English Riviera and Torquay's exacting regime Gave him the wake-up call he needed. Played against Colchester United one Friday night in 1988. His parents drove him back to Birmingham after the game. He was in bed when the manager from Torquay was downstairs with the club secretary. They'd driven up to Birmingham too. He got changed and went downstairs. He was frightened. He wondered what he'd done wrong. There was a Jaguar park there with no lights on. A door opened and a voice said, Get in. We'd like a word with you. It was Alex Ferguson in the car with Archie Knox. They took Sharp for a drive around. They told him they wanted him at Manchester United. Sharp had been picked, plucked from obscurity. He got into the first team. He became a star. He won the Premier League. He scored amazing goals against Barcelona. He won the Cup Winners' Cup. He became a hero at Manchester. An icon too among the fans. Good-looking, fashionable boy with decent taste in music. But it all started off when he was spotted and plucked from obscurity in Turkey. Yes, uh, another well, potential all Man United strike partnership alongside Dong Fangju. Uh, I really like his analysis into Lee's signing for Man United from Turkey. That's fantastic. Andy, thanks so much for the nomination. Much, much appreciated there. Um, let's throw another into the poll. This is my one. Jonathan Johansson. Oh, very good pick. Uh, Charlton, presumably from somewhere in Finland? Um, nearly. There was a bit of a bit in between, actually. He was a Finnish international, um, 168 caps for Charlton, 27 Premier League goals, um, a plucky, instinctive, hardworking striker. Um, but the bit you missed out, actually, Arthur, was he came to the four at Rangers in the S- oh. SPL, um, and it was there that he was plucked from obscurity. He'd started in his native Finland, but had made a somewhat bizarre move to FC Flora in 1997, who were playing in the Estonian Maestraliga. Um, Rangers decided that his nine goals in nine games in Estonian football was enough to impress. And indeed, Scotland made him. Uh, he won two SPLs. He'd meet his future wife there, TV presenter Jean Anderson. And after his time at Charlton, he would return to Scotland and play for Hibernian and St Johnston before a spell managing Greenock Morton. What a journey. Yeah, plucked from the Estonian leagues. Uh, and Arthur, one more name for the poll? Yes, it's Dado Perso. Oh, great shout. Love that. Uh, an irregular heartbeat threatened his career before it had started. And it did start so slowly in the French lower leagues as a part-time footballer. Mm. He supplemented his income working as a mechanic. Uh, so he probably would get on well with Scott Chipperfield, I can't help but feel, at the age of 23, uh, playing for Rouen and Stade Raffelois in the <laughs> Championnat National 2. Uh, and he was plucked from obscurity by Jean Tigana's Monaco, uh, going on to become a league winner with them. He would play in Champions League football for them, scoring four goals in one match on their run to the 2004 final. Uh, bafflingly, he only made his international debut for Croatia at age 29, uh, which really surprises me. Uh, and he also became a bit of a Rangers legend in his three seasons with them. He scored 18 goals in his first season uh, and was eventually afforded a guard of honour by them when he hung up his boots. Started slowly, but what a career for Dado Perso. 
Okay, so your poll options, Ian Wright, Lee Sharp, Jonathan Johansson, or Dardo Pierso. Don't know how you're going to choose between those four. Well, here's a chance. Here's now a Fletcher. Chance. Is he going to square it for Dong? Here is Dong, and still, and there's the goal. Dong scores for the second preseason tour running. So the players you just missed out, anyone on your bench, Ben, today? There's actually another Manchester United striker, believe it or not, Minucho. Um, oh, Angolan legend. Yeah, and he was actually plucked um, for United from Petro Atletico de Luanda in the Angolan capital. So um, another one from obscurity. Uh, and I was also really interested reading about Diego Penny, who um, for a long time was the Peruvian first choice keeper who Owen Coyle developed a soft spot for and started scouting um, before signing him for Burnley from Coronel Bolognese. Um, but it was a move that did so. Uh, he's on the bench. Well, some very good impact substitutes there. Um, Penny coming on for penalty saving, maybe. Who knows? Uh, so to run you through our team today, we've got Sasa Illich in goal, left-back Fabio Grosso. In the centre, we've got Jay Demerit alongside Julio Cesar. At the right, we've got Hatem Trebelsi. In the middle of the park, we've got Robert Corran and Stephen Apaya. On the left, Scott Chipperfield. On the right, Carlos Edwards. And then up front, we've got Dong Fangzhu, along with a choice of yours. Thank you so much for listening. Hi.